0: You have your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans 14. We're going to finish up. This is the last message in this series that I've entitled Sacred Cows, Finding Biblical Unity Even When We Disagree. Have you figured out if you're a part of any family for any length of time, You are going to have some disagreements. How many of you have figured that out? You figure that out? And uh, I think all of us have figured that out, right? That is true of a a biological family, that's true of a marriage, that's true of siblings, and it's true of a church family. If you are a part of a family for any length of time, and by the way, it's true of of church families with one another where we're just going to disagree on some things. I didn't say finding unity at all costs when we disagree, finding biblical unity when we disagree on things that, that biblically, the Bible gives some room for disagreements. And uh, the last two sessions we talked about, I told you on the last one, it was the seventh message. This is the eighth message. I said, I had one more message, I wasn't sure if I was going to bring it or not, and I decided that I was. So this is the eighth and final message in this Sunday night series, walking through the chapter, Romans chapter number 14, where the Apostle Paul addresses disunity and disagreements. It's not the only place, by the way, he addresses disunity. He addresses it in almost every one of his letters. Why? Because it's such a threat to the church. Disunity — us getting, di- getting angry, getting upset, getting critical, getting bitter get toward one another or toward our church family. And so, Paul addresses it, but Romans 14 teaches us a lot about how to deal with disunity big issues in our lives that we feel really strongly about that other believers might not feel as strongly about as we do. And so we've looked through that. If you've missed any of those messages, you can, you can catch up with any of those on our podcast or on our website, and they're sorted by series on the website. You can find those and catch up. But this is our last message in that series. How many of you remember about 20 years ago the marketing campaign for real California cheese It had the tagline, great cheese comes from happy cows, and happy cows come from California? Anybody remember that? Great cheese, I think we have one of those, they their uh, advertising things there, great cheese comes from happy cows, and it was put on by real cheese California. And tonight, my message is a little bit of a playoff of that. Every one of the messages in this series have had a little bit of a farming theme, but it said here, great cheese comes from happy cows, and happy cows come from California. And, uh, and tonight's message I've titled, uh, good milk comes from happy cows. That's the message title. Interestingly enough, there's actually science behind that statement. I'm not much of a farmer, never lived on a farm, never planned to. Uh, but there is science that the better treated cows are, the higher the levels of calcium and other nutrition, uh, nutritional value, and nutrients are in the milk that they produce. They produce more and healthier milk, the better they are treated. And we're gonna look as we finish this series, we're gonna we're gonna review a little bit about where we've been, and then we're gonna look at this idea of a healthy or happy church family and culture of, I hate to call you cows, but us as the, the cows dwelling together in unity, and, and happy cows bear good fruit in our lives. By way of review, for those that either weren't here for the series, or it's been a, little, a few weeks since we've been in the series, I've defined throughout the series a sacred cow as being a strongly held personal preference. practice that is neither commanded nor forbidden in Scripture. I don't have the time. I've given you many illustrations of what this looks like in believers' lives and in churches and things churches have split over and things that believers have disfellowshipped other believers over. I don't have the time to go through all of that, but I've defined a sacred cow as being a strongly held personal preference that is neither commanded—something you believe really strongly. It's a personal preference or a personal practice. It's something you feel really, really strongly about in your Christian walk and in your Christian life. But if we're honest, it's neither commanded nor forbidden in Scripture. Uh, That's what I've entitled, what some might call maybe the the preferential areas of the Christian life, which there are some. And Paul addresses these things in Romans 14. Week number one, uh, the, the message title was, what is your baby cow's name? And I said, we all have sacred cows. We all have personal preferences and practices based on how we were brought up, based on maybe how a pastor taught us, based on things that maybe from our life before Christ or after Christ that we feel really strongly about. We all have them. So the first message was just admit you have some of these. And then identify them. What are the things I feel really strongly about should be in a Christian's life or shouldn't be or should be in a church or shouldn't be? And yet, if I'm honest, if I go back to scripture, it's really not a clearly commanded or forbidden item. It's just something I feel really strongly about. What is your baby cow's name? And by the way, I said in week one, you know, the interesting thing that Paul taught, it's not wrong to have them. Paul did not tell the believers, the Roman Christians, he did not say, stop having strongly held preferences or practices that other people don't have. He didn't say that. Here's what he did say. It's not wrong to have them. It's wrong to divide from other good believers over them. That's what he said. For meat, destroy not the work of God, and I don't have to—we've covered in depth the the sacred cows they were dealing with in a church mixed of Jews and Gentiles, um, meat and days, and we talked all about those things, private things, public displays of religion, different things that they felt really strongly about. But Paul didn't tell them to get rid of their sacred cows. He told them to get along in spite of them. That's a big difference. He nowhere said, if you don't feel comfortable eating meat offered to idols, you need to eat meat offered. He just said, don't look down on your brother that has liberty in that area you don't have. And don't mess up your church because of it. He never said, if you want to celebrate this Jewish holiday, that's fine, but don't make your Gentile brothers celebrate the day they don't have it, they don't care about that wasn't a part of their upbringing. He didn't say get rid of them, he said get along in spite of them. And in this message I said from the beginning, the first message I said, the two greatest threats to the church today and throughout history, in my opinion, are doctrinal compromise and disunity among Christians. I believe you look at any church that has been destroyed, it's either from from within or from without, what you find is one or both of these things. Doctrinal compromise will destroy a church, and disunity among Christians will destroy a church. And there's a danger on both sides of the road of our strongly held beliefs. What is the danger? Of, with our the danger with with on one side is we take very clear firm doctrinal positions and we lower them to the level of preference. We take doctrine and we bring it down to the level of preference. What does that lead to? That leads to doctrinal compromise that will destroy a church. If the Bible's clear about it, if the Bible's loud about it, if the Bible's strong on it, we need to be clear about it, loud on it, uh, and loud about it, and strong on it. And so there's the danger of taking very clear Bible teachings and saying, well, you just live your truth. All truth is relative. You do you. That's a a danger in our society today. One of the largest churches in our country that's in Orange County, the the pastor there who has been worldwide known for 40-plus years held a very clear, strong position on, on women being pastors in the church. And then all of a sudden, a year or two before he retired, as he was hiring a man whose wife was a pastor, had an epiphany that now the Bible taught, and isn't it interesting in a society that today is now degrading, and and the, the, the distinctions between genders, he had an epiphany that the Bible taught something different than what he had believed and preached for 40 plus years. There's a danger in, you know what? Culture's not as accepting. Now it's misogynistic to see, to say that God created men and women differently. That's somehow misogynistic. And I can't say those things any longer. That danger, we've now taken doctrine and lowered it to the level of preference. We lead to doctrinal compromise. But on the other side, the danger is if we take our preference, the thing we feel strongly about that is our preference, and we raise it to the level of fundamental Bible doctrine, now we create disunity with other good believers. It's a ditch on both sides of the road, and I talked about that in week one. Week two, we we called it mad cow disease. Mad cow disease, the deadly poison of disunity over these issues. Don't let it creep into your spirit and into the church and poison us. Week three was don't take all the fences down. Don't take down all the fences. I reminded us that everything isn't a preference, and many in this generation have a misunderstanding of the grace of God and the liberty we have in Christ. It seems that this generation, it seems maybe the generation before me, they maybe in some circles, they leaned a little maybe, in my opinion, leaned a little too far in, in, in maybe casting their preferences on other people's and binding other people's consciences, saying, you must do it everything the way I do it. Maybe in a generalization in some circles, the generation before me, maybe leaned to that direction a little too far, what I might call legalism. But the danger, it seems, in the generation coming behind me is that's not the danger. It feels like maybe there's an abuse of liberty. There's an abuse of grace. And now everything is a preference. And and by the way, no generation ever gets it perfectly figured out, but we should be aware of where we're at. And we said don't take all the fences down. Everything isn't a preference. There are some black and whites in the Bible. Stand for truth. Don't apologize. Don't tear down every wall of separation. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I said that night, the goal isn't to get as close to the world as we can without crossing the line. The goal is to get as close to God and His Word as we can. Week four, I said, the message was how to treat other cattle farmers. What does the Bible say about our treatment of those with different sacred cows than us? He told the weak, don't, don't judge and the strong, don't despise To each other, weak and strong, don't judge each other, don't despise each other. Week five, old McDonald's had a farm. The work of God is much bigger than my pet cow. It's much bigger than my strongly held preferences and practices. Sometimes we make whatever church we're a part of all about our pet issue. And we cause a stink, and we cause division, and we, we start a, an undercurrent, and we, we get petitions signed all over our pet issue. And I talked about, use that little toy, you remember that old McDonald had a farm, that little thing, you did it, and it sang different, and it has all different animals. The, 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 the way Paul said it was, the work of God is more than meat. It's bigger than your pet issue. It's bigger than that one thing you struggle with. The work of God is far bigger than that, and we talked about that that issue that, uh, that week, and, and uh, I gave the idea of theological triage. Just like you go to a hospital, you go to the emergency room, they take you through triage. We have a new nurse. Is that right? And you go, and they, they triage. They, they identify how important is this issue. Can we let them sit out in the waiting room for 18 hours until we get to them? Anybody been there? They, what that means is they determine your issue isn't life-threatening. And they don't mind you sitting out there for 18 hours in the emergency room, but if you come in with a light-threatening issue, what are they going to do? They're going to rush you right into surgery. Triage tells us how important is this issue, and it determines the level of of effort and energy we give to it. And I gave the idea of theological, theological triage, figuring out how important these issues are biblically and then responding accordingly. I shared a tweet that day from a pastor that said this. He said, I thought my job as a pastor would focus on getting my church members to encourage one another to do what the Bible commands. Instead, most of my job is keeping my church members from demanding things of each other. The Bible never does. Let's be careful. Be careful. Theological triage. And then week six and seven, we talked about worship wars, the fattest calf of them all. We looked at the issue that has probably caused more division and discord than any other single issue in churches in the last century or two, and music. We looked at some practical and scriptural philosophies of music, and we looked at every passage in the New Testament that addresses the issue of music. And if you want, you can go back. Those were some of the longest messages I've ever preached in my eight years here, and one of them I think was an hour and ten minutes, which is much longer than my normal message. Tonight, I wrap it all up with just kind of some final summary, some final encouragements for a universal unified church body, and some summary thoughts on how we should navigate these unavoidable differences we will have in any church we attend with other believers. My prayer—and again, using the analogy—my prayer is to help lead a healthy farm full of healthy cows, full of happy cows, because if liberty is a healthy farm, guess what will happen? We will bear much fruit. Good milk comes from happy cows the devil doesn't fear a big church. He fears a unified church. I don't think he fears a rich church. He fears a unified church. I don't, I, I, it's not an established church that he fears. It's a unified church. And I ask the Lord to give us a healthy unified church. And for many, many years, we've enjoyed that. There have been seasons in Liberty's history throughout the 47, 48 years we've been here that that hasn't always been the case. But, but I want a healthy culture. It's been said that toxic people have a hard time staying in healthy cultures. And, and in our lives, whatever those areas of toxicity are, I want us to, to turn our eyes upon Jesus. So, how do we build a healthy culture? How do we build a strong scriptural church where we have strong Christians and weak Christians, and they get along even when we disagree? I want to give us a few thoughts in summary. We'll wrap it up, and then we've got the last night of the basketball league, basketball uh, playoffs and championship. Number one, look at chapter number 14, verse number one. The Bible says, him. That is weak in the faith. What's the verb there? Him that is weak in the faith do what? Receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. You know what Paul basically says here? God has received this area that is not, in, the New, in New Testament Christianity, is not commanded or forbidden. There were some struggling. They, they could eat that meat that, that was offered and others couldn't. They ate only herbs. And he says here whether it's weak or strong, don't despise and don't judge. And here's what he says. Here's what you're supposed to do to them. Not just put up with them. Not just kind of, well, I can sit in this section, they sit in that section, and we're never going to talk to each other. That's not a healthy unified church. You know what he said you need to do? you need to receive them, differences and all. You need to love them, you need to welcome them. And here's what he says, it's an interesting thing at the end of verse three. He says, for God hath received him. Later in this chapter, he says, why do you set it not your brother? It's the idea, he says, somebody that loves God, that's serving God with you, you've basically pushed them off to the side, made them of no effect, said, I have no part with them here's what he's saying. Why do you reject someone that God receives? Because you can't get along on a few certain issues. He said, be more spiritually mature than that. Receive one another. And I'm going to give you three thoughts on how do we have a healthy, unified church, even in, in whatever our disagreements might be, which we will have. Number one, receive one another. The end of this passage, I want you to turn over to chapter 15. That really where this, all this whole challenge to these Roman Christians ends is in verse number 7. Look at chapter number 15, verse number 5. He says, now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Look what he says in verse 6, that ye may with one mind unified and one mouth unified glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, verse 7, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. He starts it where he's going to address there's some big divisions in your churches. There are some big areas you're fighting over. Here's what I want you to do with those brothers you disagree with, with those sisters you disagree with. The beginning, he says, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Don't get into a bunch of dumb arguments over this stuff. Don't get distracted. Keep, as, as Ben said when he was leading us, keep our eyes turned on Jesus. Let's not get distracted by these things. The beginning of it, he says, receive others for God hath received them. If God can receive them with their differences, then you can receive them. And then at the end he says, receive them as Christ has received them. Receive those have one mind, one mouth. The beginning and end of the passage, he says, accept each other's differences, love each other, work together, focus on the things that matter most. Churches divide and even die when the focus moves from the gospel and service to God and service to others, and it moves to my preferences and my agenda. The gospel impact of a church dies when everybody comes to church, and it's all about their agenda. And they're watching to find out what they don't like, and they're listening to the preacher to write down and say, well, he didn't do this, and he didn't do that. And they're watching other believers, well, she didn't do that. And when the focus becomes on each other, a church will die. When the focus is on Christ and the call he's given us to proclaim the gospel, a church can thrive. He says, I want you to have one mind and one mouth, and receive each other, love each other get along with each other in spite of we all have different backgrounds, we have different religious upbringings. This is not a call for doctrinal ecumenicism. This doesn't mean all roads—I just had a long, over an hour conversation in working and witnessing with someone this week that, well, I just think this religion gets you here, and every religion, if they just do their best, they all get there. No, the Bible clearly says there's one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. doesn't mean we accept everybody that just says, I believe in God. This means everybody that believes in God, but maybe they do things a little bit differently. They do have a choir or they don't have a choir. They, and I've gone through all a bunch of illustrations. There are all kinds of things we'll fight over. You know, it could be end times, prophecy things, all of these things that do not really impact what happens today. And we divide and fight with good people over those things. He says, receive one another love one another. Don't divide with good people. This, this, this tendency to be worried about what everyone else is doing, what the pastor across town's doing. Well, I wonder what Pastor Kim's going to do in Irvine. Is he going to do everything the way that Liberty does it? And if he doesn't, can we be friends? If he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, clearly we can be friends. That's what Paul said. If the gospel be preached, I rejoice. And, and we, we have these things. It's, and by the way, it's not a new tendency. Do you remember Peter? Joe, you remember after Peter denied Christ, and they were out fishing, and, and, and Jesus showed up on the shore, and Peter's like, oh, man, Jesus is here, and Peter was naked, the Bible says. He had already—he had some real differences in, with his brothers. He was doing some real things wrong, and he puts his coat on and jumps in the water, and he goes, and do you remember that story where Jesus says, Peter, lovest thou me, lovest thou me, lovest thou me, three times? Lovest thou me more than these? And Jesus restores Peter back to service. He says, feed my sheep, and he restores them. And if you go read, I think it's John, ah, is it 21? I think it's 21. You go back, and all of a sudden, the Bible says it this way. Peter's walking along with Jesus like, oh, I'm back in. Jesus is still alive. My, my spiritual career's not over. They're walking, and he looks back, and John's behind him. And John and Peter had this little sibling rivalry. John's the one that writes, when they ran to the empty tomb, John got there first. I beat him to the tomb. I was a faster runner. Like you read some of this stuff. And it's like, why did you have to put that in there? That's kind of a funny, a funny detail to put in. They were, and John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved when you read it, right? And, and they're walking along and he looks back and John's there and he says to Jesus, but what about him? What about him? What do you think about him? What do you have for him to do? What did Jesus say? What is that to thee? Follow thou me. Why are you watching him? Follow me. Why are you worried about John, Peter? You were just naked in a boat and I, and I forgave you and I brought you back into the fold and I gave you a job to do. Why are you worried about him, Peter? follow thou me. Keep your eyes on me. Forget about John. And we as believers and we as pastors and we as churches would do really well to heed the words of Jesus. But what about that church across town? And what about that one there? And what about what they're doing? And I'm not, again, I'm not saying we don't stand for doctrinal truth, but most of the time their doctrinal error is not affecting our service for Christ. Th- that God can deal with his own servants. He can do those things. And you know what would be good? Is forget looking at John and follow thou me quit worrying about everybody else and worry about your relationship with christ and obeying his commands to you let's quit worrying about everyone else church if god has received the brother with a different sacred cow than you why can't you receive him number two number two so he says at the beginning the first half of the chapter he talks about receiving one another truly accepting them loving them in spite of the ways they're different from you number two help one another look at verse number 19 Look at verse number 19, please. Look at three verses. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. In your areas of liberty, don't try to hurt somebody. Well, I can do something they can. I have liberty they don't have. No, help one another. Verse 20, for meat, destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. Verse 21, it is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Here Paul is talking about the differences of the strong believer and the weak believer. He calls it the weaker brother and the stronger brother. And you know, we often think of the person that has more rules and guidelines in their life as the stronger Christian. Paul actually says those that have bigger, a bigger, longer list of rules he calls them actually the weaker brother. Because they're not to a place of spiritual maturity. They need a bunch of guidelines. They need a bunch of protections around them. Isn't that how it works when a baby comes into our home? What happens when a baby comes into our home? We put up gates, We put little outlet covers in the outlets so they don't stick their finger in there. In our family, Titus, when he was like one and a half or two, he cracked his head on a coffee table, split it wide open, got stitches. After that, they had corners. We put the most hideous, ugly-looking padding on the coffee table. It was there for like a decade. The next four kids, the three kids that came behind him all had padding on our coffee table. Why? Because we realized they weren't mature enough to walk around that coffee table. Well, well, we thought if they're anything like their brother, they're not going to be mature enough to walk around that coffee table without hurting themselves. So we put up some—now today, if you walk in our house, we don't have padding on any of our—we don't have little foam things on any of our furniture. Why? Our children have grown into maturity, When they're younger, do you let a kid just walk outside whenever they want? Absolutely not. Today, our kids can go outside, get on a bike, go ride. Why? They have grown into maturity. The one that needs more safety precautions, the one that needs more guidelines often is the more immature one. They've not yet grown into a spiritual maturity, so they need the laws, they need the rules, they need, and there's nothing wrong with those. But those are to help me, so I don't, I don't go in the wrong direction. But, but as we grow in grace, those things happen. But he says here, help one another out. Paul says here, uh, we, we need to see. Weak people don't despise those that, those that view others as maybe have too much liberty, and those that are, are stronger in the Lord don't despise those that maybe have some rules you don't have. Warren Wiersbe said it this way, the strong believer needs to grow in love, the weak believer needs to grow in knowledge. The strong believer maybe has studied the Word and found out, you know what, there are some areas here, In God's word, that don't need to be my focus. And then we see maybe a weaker brother, a younger brother coming up, and they're all focused on that. We need to love them, remembering at one time I was there too, and not cast them aside. And the weaker brother needs to grow in knowledge, needs to study the Bible, have an informed conscience. Well, that just goes against my conscience. Well, is your conscience informed by scripture? I gave you some illustrations the first week I came here, I had some conversations with some different families, and they told me, well, I just don't like, and they filled in the blank of something about Pastor Tomlinson's leadership. I don't like, and they filled in the blank about something in one of the services. And I stopped and I said, okay, I I can respect that that's not your preference. By the way, some of that's not my preference either. But can you help me understand where that's displeasing to Christ? Can you help me understand where that's disobedient to Scripture? Why was I saying that? Because some of what they were saying, I actually agreed with them. I told you when I got here, there were a bunch of things that were not my preference, that were not what I was used to in the church that I grew up in. And I said, but I had studied these things out and I had come to a place before I ever came here, understanding in my opinion, some of the biblical things about this. And I said, and they said, well, well, no, I just don't like it. Well, the weaker brother needs to have his conscience informed by scripture. And we need to go back, and if it's not, if it's still a strongly held belief, that's fine, or preference, or practice, that's fine, as long as we admit it's not really a biblical dividing line, it's just, it's just, for me, that's what I, I, I'm going to do. And it's my opinion, and it's my my thing, but don't, don't cause one another to stumble. If a brother is weak in the faith and makes a bigger deal about something than the Bible does, the mature believer needs to lovingly deal with him in his immaturity, explaining what the Bible says. As I have often said, the old Pharisee in us dies hard. I don't know about you, but my old Pharisee dies hard, so we need to lead them to Scripture. But That's not an excuse for an immature believer who's dividing over unnecessary issues to stay immature. Well, it violates my conscience, so you can't do it. Is your conscience informed by scriptures? Do you remember when the Lord told Peter, Peter, get up, kill, and eat? Remember that? Book of Acts, I think it was, is that right? And and get up, kill, and eat. And what did Peter say? No, Lord, not so, Lord. God himself was violating Peter's conscience. Was Peter's conscience informed by Scripture? He thought it was back in the Old Testament, but he was now in the New Covenant. Now the things that were unclean as a child growing up in a Jewish household were no longer unclean living for Christ, and God himself told him, rise up, kill and eat, go eat these unclean animals, and Peter said, no way, I can't do it. It's a good illustration that even someone that that was used by God had some sacred cows that were not scriptural right and wrong, and God had to tell him again, Peter, I want to inform your conscience, let you know this thing you think is wrong, I'm telling you to do. Now, if God's telling you to do it, it's not wrong, but he believed it was wrong because it was inbred in him from when he was growing up. The weak must seek to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It took Peter some time to grow and mature. The dietary rules he had grown up with were hard for him to change, even though they were not forbidden in the new covenant. It was hard for him to share the gospel and to accept a Gentile. He did good for a little while. Remember that? And then remember, he started rejecting Gentiles again, depending on who he was with. His conscience, what he grew up with, caused him, and he had to grow in that. And so his conscience began to change, not because he was a compromiser. His conscience began to change because it was informed by scriptural truth. Again, a baby comes into the house, they need a lot of care and a lot of love and a lot of rules to keep them safe but the child should grow to where he does not need all of those things. The house rules will change. Why? Because they've grown in maturity. The same thing is true of Christians. The weak must learn from the strong and the strong must love the weak. And and again, adjust our homes for a season in order to help the weak, but the child should not demand or even desire to keep all those guards and guides up in the home as they grow. They should want to go out and ride their bike and explore and grow and mow the lawn and drive a car and get a job. Why? They've grown into maturity. Then, as a weak Christian grows, they can help another younger Christian along the way in those same journeys. Number three, number three, how do we have a happy, healthy farm, if you will? Number three, live for one another. Receive one another. Help one another. Meaning, if you're strong help the weak. If you're weak, seek help. Or maybe you don't think you're weak, but help each other. Don't be a stumbling block, and help each other grow, and talk about these things, and and point ourselves to Scripture, and then live one another, or live for one another, or serve one another. Chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Look at what it says here. We're almost done. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, and not to please ourselves. You want to have a happy church family? Live for other people. You want to have have a happy marriage? Live for each other. You want to have a happy family? Parents, live for your kids. Kids, live for your parents. Brothers, live for your sisters. Sisters, live for your brother. You know, when you live, he said here, we then that are strong, we say we have liberty in Christ, we ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Not to please ourselves. Verse 2 Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, The reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. What is he saying to Christians? Don't live for what you want. Isn't that what we tell our kids? Be kind to your brother, help your sister out. Why don't you share that with them? What are we saying? Be kind to your family members. Live for each other. And that's what Paul's telling these Christians here. He's saying live for each other. Yes, I know. Some of you are Gentiles and some of you are Jews. Yes, I know. Some of you feel really strongly about meat and some of you don't. Yes, I know. Some of you feel really strongly about certain religious holidays and some of you don't. Yes, I know. Some of you were brought up in a different, a church or a synagogue or a temple that looked completely different. And some of you didn't go to, the first time you ever came to church was when you heard me preach the Paul said. I know you have totally different church backgrounds, and God's brought you all together here. And here's what He says in the church, in the body of Christ don't live to please yourself, live to please your neighbor for his good to edification. You heard me use the illustration. A lady walked up to a pastor, the story is told, and said after service to the pastor, I didn't really like today's worship. And the pastor responded, that's okay, it wasn't for you. It's for him. But we often think, whether it's preaching, worship, programs, whatever it is, it's for me. I go to a church that's going to please me. I go to a church that's going to meet my needs. I'm looking for a church that has what I want. No, let's look for a church that has what God wants. Let's look for a church that's doing what God wants. Let's look for a church that's preaching the gospel. Let's look for a church that's seeing people saved and baptized and seeing young believers grow and and is making an impact in families. And let's look for a place that is doing the work of God. Don't please. in, In churches, we often live to please ourselves. And when we do, we destroy the work of God over our sacred cows. Here's the reality, church. You can either fight for your way or you can serve your brother. You can't do both. You can fight for your way, or you can serve your brother. You can't do both. Annalise, Trey, could I get you to come up here and help me real quick? I didn't tell them what, but I told them they might have a chance to make a little money tonight in church. All right, come on up here. I've got, let's see here. Annalise, I've got, you want five bucks? Would you like five dollars tonight? What do you think you might spend it on? Not sure. Trey, would you like five dollars? What would you spend it on? No idea. Neither of them have any big goals in life with finances, but there's $5, all right Annalise? All right, Trey, I'm going to give you 30 seconds. You can fight your sister, and you're not allowed to at home, but here you can. You can throw her to the ground, you can push her, whatever you want. Whatever you have to do, run around, try to get her out of the way, and Annalise, you're going to come try to guard this $5 for 30 seconds. You're going to fight for your—this is your $5. You're going to fight for that $5 for 30 seconds. If you can beat him for 30 seconds, it's yours. If you can beat her, it's yours. All right, Trey? So if you beat your sister, you get five bucks. You have two choices. That's the only way you can earn money is if you beat her, you can get that $5. I'm going to give you a second choice, Annalise. You can either fight your brother or you can serve your mom. Okay? I've got a bottle of water here. My wife loves bottled water. She almost always has water with her. I've got—let me see here. What do I have? Five, ten. I've got $20 if you'll serve your mom. So you're going to make a choice. For the next 30 seconds, you're either going to fight your brother, protect your $5, or you're going to serve your mom and get $20. Okay? You don't have to tell me what you're going to do. You think you know what you're going to do? We'll see what you're going to do, all right? On your mark. You ready, Trey? 30 seconds. Get set. Go. All right. Take that to your sister. There we go. Annalise gets 20. There we go. Trey gets five. Go ahead. Here we go, Annalise. You can—I gave it to Trey to give to you there. Thank you guys for helping out. You know what? It's an illustration. You know what happened when she decided not to fight her brother but to serve someone else? Guess what? They both ended up happier. They both were blessed. They both had have bet more joy. There was no animosity. They're not going home, and she, we're not going to the hospital because Trey threw her into the choir loft or whatever might have happened there. When she chose to serve, was she worried about what Trey was going to do? When she chose to serve, did it matter what Trey was going to do when I said go? When she chose to serve, her eyes were no longer on Trey. She was looking who she could help. Now, it might have been a little self-serving because she got 20 bucks out of it. But she was looking to serve. When she chose to serve, her opponent was no longer her opponent. And by the way, there was more than enough blessing to go around. I think it's a good reminder too, greater joy and reward always comes when we choose to serve when, rather than when we choose to fight for our way. As long church as our focus is on loving and serving my neighbor, it's going to be real hard to constantly be criticizing and fighting with him. Keith, I saw it. Facebook pops up uh, uh, memories. I think it was 2016 or 2018. You posted, uh, it popped up on my memories with Keith Gilbert. You posted this quote and said, I I like what pastor said tonight. And, And I said on that night seven years ago, it's hard to rock the boat when you're busy rowing. You know, when you're busy living for each other, it's real hard to hate the person you pray for. It's real hard to have a critical, bitter spirit toward the person that you're serving that you regularly serve, stop fighting for your direction, your desires. Let's humble ourselves, support one another, receive one another, help one another. When someone's struggling with with, with, uh, what another believer is doing, lovingly and patiently help them grow. Then live to serve each other in spite of our differences. And he finishes off in verse number seven of chapter 15. He says, wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Church family, Do you understand that when we have this spirit, it glorifies God? When we receive one another, when we, the stronger, help the weaker, when we give room for some differences and some misunderstandings and give a little grace, you know what, at one point I was immature like that maybe too, or maybe I'm still immature in that area and maybe I need to grow a little bit. When we give some grace, when we live for one another, we edify each other rather than pleasing ourselves, you know what he says? It brings glory to God. Church family, the neighbors are watching. They're watching how the family of God treat each other when they disagree. The neighbors are watching. They're watching how you interact with one another. And if unbelievers watch a group of believers fighting and bickering and bitter against each other and other churches and criticizing and constantly, why would they ever want to be a part of a family like that? Well, if I come in and I have one thing different about me. They're going to reject me. They're going to cast me out. Why would they ever want to be a part of that? No, receive one another to the glory of God. The neighbors are watching. What are they seeing in our house? You and I can do great damage to the church by living self-centeredly. Jesus prayed for the unity of the church to the glory of God. In spite of our differences, church, finding biblical unity— if the Bible is clear on something, we're not going to waver. We're not going to compromise. We're not going to give any room. Where the Bible is clear and in matters of faith and practice, we're going to be clear. We're going to stand strong. But in your life and in mine, when a good brother or a good sister lands a little differently in an area than you do, receive one another. Help one another. Strong, help the weak. Weak, love the Strong live for one another, not to please yourselves, but to edify each other in spite of your differences, all to the glory of God. I believe that those three phrases, to receive one another, help one another, live for one another from this chapter would solve every division that has ever happened in any church in the history of the world. It would solve every problem of division a church has or ever has had. Let's wrap up this series with a powerful passage from Paul to the Roman Christians. I'm sorry, Paul, the writer of Romans, two two chapters before in Romans 12. I'm going to put up one verse at a time on the screen. I want you to read these verses in Romans 12 aloud with me. Paul teaches here in Romans 12 that good milk comes from happy cows. When a church family, when Christians are healthy and unified, good things come from it. When brethren dwell together in unity, amazing things happen naturally in the body of Christ. Would you read Romans 12, beginning in verse number 10 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. Be kindly affectioned one to another, with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You could read the beginning of that chapter and the end. It's a beautiful chapter, but what did he say at the beginning? Be it kindly affection one to another and brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. What is he saying? Give in, love each other, stop fighting over stupid stuff. And what happens? That's, that's where you get Happy cows. What happens when you have happy cows? He says it in the next you're not slothful in business. You're serving the Lord. You're patient in tribulation. You continue in prayer. You distribute to the necess- You help other people. You distribute to the necessity of the saints. You're given to hospitality. You bless those which are trying to hurt you. You rejoice when God blesses someone else. You weep when someone's weeping. Be of the same mind one toward another. Unity. And when these things happen, we're people of prayer. We're people of generosity. We're people of giving. We're people of joy. The gospel's going for. Forward, what does he say? What is Paul saying here? Good milk comes from happy cows. As a church, let's be a fruitful church. Let's stop like Peter saying, "Well, what about John? What is that to thee? Follow thou me." What about Pastor Kim when they start their church? And you know what they they did something that I wouldn't have done it that way. What is that to me? To thee, follow thou me. Well, what about this? Per- whatever it might be, and again. I've gone through it. We're not talking about doctrinal compromise. We're talking about biblical unity. If the gospel be preached, we rejoice. Receive each other. Help each other. In spite of your differences, live for each other, not to please yourselves, but to edify one another. God, I pray these thoughts would cause our church to be a happy, healthy, joyful church focused solely on you. And Lord, I've watched it. Toxic people thrive in toxic cultures. Toxic people have a hard time staying in healthy cultures. And God, I want this to be a church that bears much fruit, but much fruit only comes when there's health in the vine. Help us to abide in you, to keep our eyes on you, to have the right spirit toward those that that, that might do something differently than we would would have done it. And God, help us to have that, that biblical spirit that Paul says, of one mind, of one mouth, Help us to follow his admonitions in chapter 12 and in chapter 13 and chapter 14 and chapter 15 of Romans is my prayer. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.